0: Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Let's keep John 15 open in front of you and uh, we're going to look at that together today. Why don't you bow your heads as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Oh Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not stand at a distance, but that you invite us into a living, personal, life-changing relationship with you. And Father, would you teach us and show us and uh, move us at the center of our beings to know what that looks like and means for us, for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How on earth did Christianity change the world? How on earth did Christianity change the world? In John 15, uh, which we're looking at, uh, it's the last night of Jesus' life. There's only 12 disciples, right? And within hours, one of them's going to turn out to be a traitor. The other one uh, is a denier, Peter. The other ten barely get mentioned as in the whole crucifixion narrative because pretty much they've just slinked away. I mean, how did Jesus ever think it was possible for these, you know, 12 mediocre, flawed people to change the world? But that's what happened. And the answer in John 15, on the last night of Jesus' life, as he's preparing his disciples for a worldwide disciple you know make disciples of every nation type mission the answer is that a living relationship with jesus will so change you that through you jesus changes others and so here's the point today jesus is the true vine he is all we could never be the second part jesus is the true vine he wants to grow you to be all you're meant to be did you get that He's the true vine, he is what you could never be, and he's the true vine, he wants to grow you to be all you're meant to be. So let's have a look at the first half, and uh, we're going to read from John 15 verse 1, Jesus is the true vine, he is all we could never be. John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now in John's gospel, uh, John's biography of Jesus, uh, there's seven great I am statements that Jesus makes that kind of point to his identity and who he is. Now uh, here you go. You can you can tell me what what are some of the I am statements? The seven of them. That's yeah. You're right, and we're going to get back to that. Although there's there's that plus seven others. Um, so there you go. Yep. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Yep. That counts for one. Yep. I am. I'm the light of the world. I, sh- you know, Jesus shines in darkness. Yes. What else? I'm the bread of life, the one who kind of feeds your very soul. Sorry. Uh, I think that's Matthew saying that you are the salt of the earth. Um, not one of the I am's. I am the good shepherd. I am the, yeah, the gate or the door in some translations. What else we got? I am the resurrection of the life. It's a pretty good one, right? And then here, I am the vine. Now, the very last verse of John 14, um, Jesus has said to his disciples, let's, you know, let's get up and let's go. And maybe they're like walking through a vineyard or a garden at the moment, so Jesus goes, hey, let's, you know, a little object lesson, let's use the vine. And it is a powerful picture, isn't it? This living, organic, life-giving, health-sharing, you know sharing, uh, fruitful relationship with Jesus. But the point isn't so much that Jesus has gone organic. Um, we're doing the Lord's Supper, and was like we could do it with kale juice, but you know, that's not the point. The point is Jesus has gone Old Testament. That's what's going on. Because the vine or vineyard, was this national symbol of Israel. Now, we read it in Isaiah chapter 5, but in over one of the gates of the temple in Jesus' day, first century, there was a vine and vineyard, like ornately carved uh, with golden leaves and you know, golden grapes and all the rest. Now, why was that such a big deal? Well, because the vine or vineyard was a picture of God's people in the Old Testament. So we read Isaiah 5 verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. It's a way of talking about God's people. And the the image is that God has planted his people like a vineyard and he he tends for them and he cares for them and he waters and looks after so that they bear fruit. Um, On Mount Sinai, uh, just prior to the Ten Commandments, God gave ancient Israel a charter to be a blessing to the nation. Okay, that they were meant to so love God and be connected to Him and obey Him that it kind of blessed the whole world through them. Now the problem was, almost always in the Old Testament, when Israel's called the vine, there's no fruit or there's bad fruit. Sour grapes. Um, Isaiah 5, God looked for justice, but there was violence. He looked for righteousness, purity, and there was an outcry. There's injustice. Um, and kind of the tragedy of it is it's fascinating you know if you were a non-jew in the old testament times and you wanted in on god's blessing what were you meant to do well there's one kind of um, one of the prophecies says you're to literally grab hold of the cloak of a jewish person that's how you get in on god's blessing um, and the tragedy is uh, israel so often were just a people with no fruit and so isaiah 5 god says i'm going to let the vineyard go to waste I'm going to let the weeds and the thorns get it. I'm not going to bother watering it anymore. It'll just dry out and then I'll throw it in the fire. So if you're a first century Jew, right, there's this vine over the gate. And in a way, it's this symbol of national pride. And in another way, it's a symbol of national failure. Maybe a little bit like, you know, for some of us, you know, there's there's a photo of your mum and dad on the wall and... Maybe they were just such paragons of virtue that, in a way, it's inspiring, in a way, it's depressing because you're like, I'm just never going to live up to it. You know, they were just such great, amazing people. I'll never live up to it. And kind of both things are happening. Or, um, I don't know if you've seen some of those inspirational posters, Um, uh, there's lots of them, but here's one on the screen. Um, This is the kind of one, you know, for households. In this house, we. We do forgiveness we do grace we do real we do mistakes we do i'm sorry we do loud we do hugs we do family we do love in a way it's like inspires you and then in a way it just kind of mocks you right because like we do tired and we do yelling and we do i don't know um actually it's interesting you know in america the self-improvement industry is a like 10 billion dollar industry is that like that's fascinating I mean, you can go to Dimmicks and all the rest, and it's just, it's there. Now, the irony is, if all those books were really helpful, like if last year's self-help books were so helpful, there'd be no more industry, right? (laughs) But they're not. And actually, um, the real kicker is, the problem isn't with the books, the problem's with us. That we are relentlessly not all we're meant to be. And 2018 self-help books aren't going to—we're not going to be able to improve ourselves, not deep down. And so here's um, Jesus speaking to a people with this calling to be God's vineyard. That's going to says and pride and failure. And what does he say? He comes and he says, "I am the true vine." Notice that word "true." I am the true vine. I am the channel of god's blessing to the world i mean if you want to be in on god's blessing what are you going to do attach yourself to me that's what jesus is saying and the secret of a fruitful life isn't it's not like a little bit of jesus in your life to kind of make your life a little bit better it's to have your whole life in jesus that's the secret to a fruitful life but jesus is also saying i am all that you were never able to be Israel, you haven't borne the fruit that you were meant to bear. But I am. I am the true vine. And what was true for God's own ancient people with the privilege of God's own law is surely true for the rest of us who aren't Jewish. That we, we are not able to be what we're meant to be. And the good news is, Jesus is. Precious good news. Jesus is the true vine. He is all we could never be. And friends, um, remember that little bit with the puppet right? That idea of like the straining to produce fruit. <laughs> you can't do it, but with Jesus you can. If you're tired and weak and struggling, just hold on to Jesus because it's about being connected to Him. He's the one. So here's Jesus saying, I've come to be all that you could never be. But he doesn't leave it there, does he? Now he says, I'm going to grow you to be all that you were meant to be, all that you are destined to be. Jesus is the vine who joins you to God, which means life and vitality and spiritual health and fruitfulness. And when his life flows into you, there's fruit. And the the thing that's helpful, I think, for some of you with the fruit word is it takes time. Not like, right, I trust in Jesus, you know, next week I'm like this amazing Christian. No, fruit takes time to grow. I think that's helpful to remember. What's the fruit that Jesus has in mind? I I think it's everything that comes from having Jesus' life flow through your life. So that would be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the rest in Galatians five. In John fifteen, sixteen, it would at least be obedience joy, love, and witness to the watching, sceptical world. But also, I think, in some sense, it is... See, remember, Jesus, this is the night before he dies. He's trying to prepare the disciples, and he's setting them up for their worldwide mission, a mission where the fruit is going to be people of every nation who say, yes, Jesus is the one. And so part of the fruit... Um, it's, it's like we're meant to bear this, you know, fruit in all parts of our lives, but including some way that it actually has an overflowing effect to other people, because the disciples had fruit that included new Christians, and then those ones had fruit that included new Christians, down to this day on the other side of the planet, 2,000 years on. I mean, we're only here because John 15 is true, because it's happened. And now Jesus says he wants to grow you and me to be all that we're meant to be. To be fruitful. To be fruitful in every sense. Which I think sounds great, doesn't it? I Sure, Jesus, come into my life and then I'll really blossom. Except Jesus isn't interested in flowers. He's interested in fruit. And that means pruning, doesn't it? So grab your Bibles again. And we're going to have a look at, Jesus starts to kind of, I guess, spell out the metaphor. And there's at least four things um, about what does it mean? What does it mean to be connected to Jesus? What does it mean to be in the vine? So pruning, abiding, praying, and obeying. Let's start with pruning. And I'm going to read John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, there's something tragic in those verses because Jesus is saying there are people who associate with Jesus who are not in the end with Jesus. I think the clear example is meant to be Judas, who's about to betray Jesus. And so Jesus says from the start, there will be branches who have no fruit, who don't stay connected to the vine, who Jesus says will be thrown into the fire. It's a sobering word. And then Jesus says, even the branches that do bear fruit, right? So all the ones that are going really well, they get cut as well, but pruned so that they might bear more fruit. And I think the, in the first instance, the example is Peter. I mean, he denies Jesus in this kind of tragic just tragic way that kind of Peter denies Jesus and yet Jesus in John chapter 21 very movingly restores Peter to himself. Um, John 21, don't miss that uh, chapter when we get to it. And Peter goes on to bear much fruit. So if I can speak to my Christian friends here, if you belong to Jesus, his word has made you clean. They notice that? if you've thrown yourself on jesus mercy and trusted him he's made you clean you are clean forgiven part of god's family but he still wants to prune you and grow you and change you and to grow you and prune you even the bits of your life that look good jesus might want to cut off now um out here our kind of uh, some of our kind of um, bushes out here got pruned the other week and you you know what happens when you prune? It just it's like, looks like a disaster. It just looks really messy. There's like kind of tree murder on the ground with all the broken branches. And uh, when you cut jasmine, um, you know, like it literally bleeds, you know, that sap. You know, you've got to put your gloves on when you do the jasmine because it bleeds, you know. And at first, it, it can look terrible. It's just kind of, it's gone from colorful to just kind of brown. But then the buds start and then it begins to grow. And then there's more fruit, if you've done it properly. And off it goes. And so here's Jesus. He wants to prune my pride, maybe with a bit of failure. He wants to prune my laziness, maybe by someone asking me some really hard questions. In fact, many Christians will testify the times of deepest growth turned out to be the very hardest times in their life. And so Christian friends, when your life is difficult, it is because God loves you, not because he's abandoned you. He wants to grow you and he's committed to that. There's a character in the Narnia books called Eustace Scrub. Such a great name. He's this kind of selfish, immature boy in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know if you ever kind of read these or saw the movie, but... At one point, Eustace, this kind of um, really pretentious young boy, he sees um, this dragon's cave with some gold on it. Well, he thinks he sees gold and he's very attracted to it. And so he kind of wanders in and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he's become the dragon, actually. And he realizes that now his friends are all against him and uh, he's become their enemy and he's in trouble. And he tries to kind of communicate to them that actually it's really me I'm the pretentious one. I've become a dragon, which is like the symbol of what his character was like. And he tries to kind of scratch off, you know, the scales, these dragon scales that are on him, but he just can't do it. And eventually, Aslan, the lion figure, often the Jesus figure in the Narnia books, comes. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit for you. This is what the lion said. You'll have to let me do it. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first hair he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. For those of you who used to peel your scabs off when you were young, you'd like you know the difference. But he's kind of pruning, right? Um, We would never cut out the bits of our lives that really need to go, like if it was up to us. Um, We'd never go deep enough if it was up to us. But here's Jesus saying, God is going to prune you in ways that are probably going to hurt at first, but never because he's going to harm you. Because he wants to grow you that you might be more fruitful. So, what does it mean to be connected to Jesus the vine? Pruning. Second thing is abiding. Let's read from verse 4. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. There's that sobering bit again. But um, remember our puppet, right? If a, if a branch decides, you know what? I was actually born to shine. You know, I'm, I'm fed up of kind of, you know, working for the company. I'm going out on my own. I'm kind of going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to cut myself off from the vine and I'm going to go it alone. And what happens? It withers and dies. Um, We've uh, we've got this fun little kind of veggie garden now and we didn't even plant all these pumpkins but they came out of the compost seed and have gone completely nuts. And you can't even work out where it's all going and I was pruning the other day and snip snip and I'm like, oh, there goes that little pumpkin because it, whoops, I did the wrong thing. And in fact, um, I looked at a couple of leaves at the top like five minutes after I'd done some pruning. I was like, you're looking a bit sad. And I kind of went down and went, oh yeah, whoops, I <laughs> cut you down the bottom. Um, and they just, they're not going to last, so you rip them out. Um, to, to, as soon as you lose connection to the vine, you lose your life and vitality. And so Jesus says it's about Abiding. Now, that's not a word that we use a lot. Some of you might have grown up with Bible translations that said something like, remain in me, and I'll remain in you, although it's just a little bit too passive. The word abide has this sense of um, a home or dwelling. Maybe abode, maybe that would be more helpful. Um, you know, we use the word for abode, for you know, where you live and dwell. So it's like abode in me, and I'll abode in you. Um, in fact, I'm going to teach you a theological kind of word here. You ready? Okay, what Jesus is talking about, because he says, you live in me and I'll live in you, it's called mutual indwelling. Okay? You can lock that away and use that you know, in some, whatever, sometime. Anyway, mutual indwelling. That's what Jesus is talking about. You have your life in me and my life will flow into you together. Um, and then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, of course, in a sense, you can do lots of stuff without Jesus, can't you? Um, you can be successful without Jesus. Um, you can make millions without Jesus. Uh, you can give away millions and be a, you know, amazingly generous philanthropist without Jesus. You can pastor a church without Jesus. <laughs> it's possible. Um, but without boding, living, depending, connected to Jesus, what does he say? There'll be no real spiritual fruit, nothing that matters and nothing that lasts. So here's Jesus saying, you know, you can go through the motions, you can look really spiritual, you can try and, you know, attach kindness to your life like, you know, hanging an ornament on a Christmas tree, but it's not living and real and deep and lasting fruit. It's just a pretense. There's no real life-giving, sorry, no real fruit without a real life-giving connection to Jesus. Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to kind of do that day to day? And this passage reminded me of, uh, there's a um, kind of fun scene in uh, the Gospels where um, Peter gets to walk on water. Okay, so what happens is um, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat um, and uh, Jesus kind of appears to them on the water. Now, if you have ever been in a boat and had someone walk on water to you, that'll freak you out, right? So they're freaked out and they say, you know, what's going on? And Jesus says, it's okay, I am, which has a whole lot of connotations, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, um, don't be afraid. And then Peter, who's like, he's the guy who's like, you know what, I'm never missing an opportunity to you know, go um, skydive or anything. He says, Jesus, if it's really you, command me to walk to you on the water. Oh, well, you know, Peter, go for it, you know, <laughs> ask away. And Jesus says, come to me. Did you know the rest of the story? Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water as long as he's looking at Jesus. And then it says, When he saw the wind and became afraid, he began to see. It's like as long as he was looking at Jesus, he could do this. But as soon as he took his eye onto, away from Jesus and onto the things that might make him afraid, Or kind of, it's like maybe in our lives, you know, as long as we're looking to Jesus, but then we kind of stop and look at ourselves and, hey, I'm walking on water, or look at what an amazing Christian I am. And then pride seeps in, and the real fruit begins to wither. Or maybe we kind of take our eye off Jesus in our day-to-day life, and we just kind of start to look at what other people think of us. And the fruit begins to lose its sap and vitality that comes from Jesus, the vine. So, Jesus is saying, I'm going to prune you and I need to, you've got to abide in me and I'll abide in you. Third thing he says, what does all this mean and look like in daily life? Well, it means depending on Jesus in prayer. It means depending on Jesus in prayer. So this whole idea of being connected to the vine, it's it's more than prayer, but it's not less than prayer. Okay, so let's have a look at verse 7. Jesus says, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my no, it's different this time. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, if you're abiding, depending, connected to Jesus daily, and His words are living in you, notice that. Um, if Jesus is truly in your life the Bible will be in your heart his words live in you you'll love Jesus' words like the New Testament you'll love his words and long to obey them. and he says if you're abiding in me like that then whatever you ask in prayer God's going to say yes God will be pleased to do that and the picture is if you are truly obedient to Jesus in every area of your life your prayers will be really powerful because what you're asking for God to do will be the stuff that God loves to answer and to do. Now, some of you are sitting there going, that sounds like a bit of a like, dodge. <laughs> um, you're saying, actually, I don't get whatever I want. <laughs> Does it, I, I just I want the bit where I get whatever I want. But no, no, no. We need to realize this is not about you getting what you want. It's not even about you shining. It's not about you flourishing. It is about a fruitful life where what shines in your life is God. That He's the one who shines out of you because that's what you're meant for and made for. So, praying. And last one is obeying. Okay, Jesus, the true vine, He wants to grow you to be all that you're meant to be by obeying Him. He says, if you know Jesus... Uh, and you love Jesus, you'll trust what he says, and therefore you'll obey him. So let's have a look at verse 10. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, Jesus isn't saying, if, if you obey him, then you'll get, your lo- you'll get his love. They're already in his love. They've already been made clean. They're, they already are connected to him. But he's saying, as you grow in your love for me, you'll grow in obeying me. And the two will go together. In fact, obeying Christ in, in these areas of our life that are seen, it's like a little test of whether you're really connected to the vine which is something that's unseen. I mean, no one can kind of know that about you apart from you and God. But obedience to Jesus in time will make that clear. It's like flowers are no substitute for listening, are they? Um, I think this is like a little tip for, um, you know, friendships and families and husbands, right? Um, And I might still need to learn it a bit better. Um, But love, love means taking... Time to listen, doesn't it? Love means taking time to listen. And with Jesus, loving Jesus means obeying Jesus because he's the Son of God. And you say, why? why? Why why would I do this? And well, because Jesus loved you when you did not abide, when you did not obey, He loved you anyway. And in fact, that very next day on the cross, Jesus was so desperate for you to be joined to his life forever, that he's the one who was cut off. He's the one who got pruned, cut off from God, that you can be connected to God forever. Jesus was the one who bled for your failure and for mine. And so here's Jesus' vision that you would so share in his life, and his life in you, that it would change you, that you would bear fruit that you'd be all that God made you to be. It's more than just you flourishing in life, although that's, that'll happen, but it's about you living a fruitful life that will honor God and point others to God as well. That's us Our Father God, we confess in so many ways we have failed to be what we are meant to be you made us to be your children you made us to love you and honour you and we've been more interested in putting ourselves first but we thank you that Jesus came to be all that we could never be on our own but Father we thank you too for the precious good news of this passage that Jesus is the true vine and by our faith and our connection to him can change us and grow us, even prune us, so that we might bear much fruit for you. And Father, whether today we are harboring sin in our hearts that we need to repent of, whether we are weary and tired and need to come back and depend on Jesus the Vine, whether we are proud and are trying to live This Christian life on our own without depending on Jesus. Our Father, whoever we are, we pray that you would forgive us and draw us back to the Lord Jesus, in whom is our life now and forever. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.